before we talk about relationships today. Take three. And uh, this covers all, all kinds of things. But last week we talked about just a couple things to do in relationships, doing with uh, covering sort of some of the modern research when it comes to relationships, uh, especially just the idea that uh, relationships are harder than ever in history, researchers say. Uh, but at the same time, the best marriages are actually better than ever in history. And so the requirements for a good long-term relationship are more than ever in history. But if you do it well, you can have the most beautiful relationship uh, ever in all of history, according to studies. And one of the reasons why relationships are so much harder today is because we tend to have really, really high expectations uh, of our romantic partners, more than ever in history, they say. And part of the reason, as we talked about, was because we tend to be more isolated. And so because we're more isolated, we're not as involved in community, we're not involved in, as involved in village life as once we once were, that all those little needs that we have that were often met by a whole group of people are now all put on our spouse. And so they need to be our best friend and our exercise companion and our spiritual companion and our one that helps us through crisis and the one who knows all our emotional needs and is, has the best sex and does the dishes and clean vacuums and all those expectations on them. And it's, and it's just impossible that someone can fulfill all of those expectations. So we talked about having more realistic expectations. We talked about trying to broaden your uh, community and making friends and getting involved in different places. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about seven more boosters. I do want to mention, first of all, that um, if you're going through a breakup or have gone through a breakup or maybe you have uh, been divorced, sometimes talking about this subject can be like, uh, make you feel shame or make you feel you know, condemnation for, you know, maybe going through a relationship breakup. Uh, it's really important if you have broken up, of course, to own if there, you did play a role in that, to own that. Uh, but at the same time, to make sure that you're not walking in shame or condemnation. Um, Romans 10 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And we use this verse a lot because often we do think God is shaming us or that we at least maybe shame ourselves and especially maybe when a relationship crumbles. And, and you got to understand that God isn't shaming you. Uh, he's maybe wanting you to own your stuff or to work on that, uh, but he's not shaming you and he's not condemning you. As Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it's important to walk out a relationship breakout or a breakup or a divorce in the sense where you're not being filled with shame or condemnation, but you're trying to walk through that in a mature way. And, and the other part of this, especially in Christian circles, sometimes people think that, you know, when a relationship ends or even divorce is just like, it is always the worst thing, the worst sin possible. <laughs> and sometimes it is the result of, of a messy situation, but divorce is not always a sin. In fact, we know from the Bible that one time even God divorced his people in Jeremiah 3.8. God says, I sent her away and gave her divorce papers. And if God divorced his people, then we know obviously is not always a sin because God doesn't, doesn't do that. Uh, but we do know divorce can be hard and messy, but just don't walk in shame and condemnation. Learn, grow, and move forward uh, from that. All right, uh, we're going to talk about seven things. First of all, Make sure, if you want to boost your relationship, again, this works with kids, friends, parents, 
to make sure that you're doing your own heart work, to really own your stuff. Uh, Jesus said, the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you or even defiles your relationship, you could say. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. All those things that just kind of hurt people. Jesus says that they come from our heart. And as Proverbs says that above all else, we're to guard our heart from everything we do flows from it. And all of us, just because of the nature of this world and the nature of growing up with parents who aren't perfect and being hurt and those little traumas we experience, we have junk in our lives that will end up hurting other people. We all have that. And it's important in relationships, if we want to thrive in relationships, that we at least acknowledge those things, and we own those things, and we work on those things. Uh, sometimes people say, well, that's just the way I am, and, you know, I know it, you know, my wife hates it, or, you know, my, my partner doesn't like that, and it always causes pain in a relationship, that's the way I am. Well, maybe that's the way you are now, but you can always grow, and you can always learn, and you always let God in and allow uh, God to shape that in you, to really do your own heart work and to own your stuff. And, uh, to, and this usually means you've got to reach out. Um, you can do your own work by reading books on that, um, getting prayer for that. But I highly suggest things like uh, professional therapy if there's issues that just keep on being reincurring. And there's no shame in getting therapy. I mean, I've been to therapy a, a number of times just to work on stuff that some, sometimes you just get stuck and there's things in your relationship that just seem stuck. And I mean, to have someone else step in there can, I mean, radically change a relationship. And if and there are things that are just in you that are hurting people, uh, you don't want to live the rest of your life just continually bumping your head against the same wall in your relationship over that issue. You very well could be free from that. And that usually means owning it, working on it, and moving forward. Uh, second look, these are kind of quick points here. Uh, never let go of gratitude. Uh, often when we first meet someone, we're super thankful for everything. <laughs> you know, we give them flowers and buy little things, and they make us a little meal. We're like, oh, thank you so much, and oh, that was so amazing. Oh, thank you for the text, and super excited. But the longer people are together, you know, that just, you just kind of expect those things. You know, when the food shows up on the table, you're like, ah. Oh. Man eat food, you know, or woman eat food if you, if you make. I'm the one who always makes breakfast. But uh, sometimes we just forget to just continue to be thankful. I mean, uh, Colossians says, always be thankful. Even if you've been with someone for three, four, five, 20, 40 years, to always be thankful. And you never get tired of hearing someone say to you, thank you, or I really appreciate that. Um, I think what William James says, the deepest craving of, the human, nat of human nature is the need to be appreciated. Uh, that we just desire when someone says, I appreciate you. Uh, never lose that. I mean, Marie and I actually in our marriage kind of lost that for a while. I mean, we've been together over 30 years and, you know, maybe about seven or eight years ago, we we're like, you know, we don't say thank you the same way we used to. And so we've gotten this habit, just no matter whenever we see each other do something nice. We're just always like, hey, I really appreciate it, or thank you, or I love that, or kiss, or something like that, but never lose that gratitude. And studies have shown that this is one of the things, is, is a key to uh, good relationships. Uh, one study, um, Journey of Family Psychology, said gratitude appears to have especially important benefits when both partners are high 
in dispositional gratitude, which maintains higher relationship satisfaction over time. However, when both partners are low in gratitude, partners report lower marital satisfaction. If one partner has an ungrateful disposition, it acts as a weak link that is enough to disturb relationship satisfaction for both partners. Again, this is, they're saying that, that both parties need to work on this. You both need to learn gratitude and thanksgiving and to learn to appreciate each other. I mean, if you are with someone, are you still saying thank you? Are you still appreciating what they do for you, even in the small things? All right, number three, grow in your ability to repair. I saw this last week. I laughed out loud because I think it's funny. Relationships are like a walk in the park, Jurassic Park. <laughs> because Jurassic Park was super cool in the beginning, wasn't it? It was awesome. Uh, everybody was having a lot of fun until the velociraptors ruptures or whatever those things are, T-Rex guys, jump out of the bush and they scare you. And, and relationships are like that. I mean, they can be super enjoyable at times, uh, but then something triggers something or something explodes or it gets very hard or, you know, uh, something ugly jumps out of the bush. And every relationship has this happen. There is no perfect relationship. Every relationship gets messy. Every relationship has conflict. Every relationship has their struggles. And um, those couples that say, we have a great relationship, aren't people who never have conflict. Studies show they're actually couples. They have just as much conflict as anybody else. They are couples who have learned to repair, to get over those conflict issues. Next slide. Uh, Gottman's, we talked about them last week, have they're the guys who've probably studied marriage more than anybody else. Uh, they say that repair is the secret weapon of emotionally connected couples. I uh, say the difference between happy couples and unhappy couples is not that happy couples don't make mistakes. We all do. How couples repair is what separates the relational masters from the disasters. Uh, next slide. As uh, Robert... Quillen says, happy marriage is a union between two forgivers. In other words, those couples that seem to do well are those couples that make mistakes just like everybody else. But the couples do, that do well are couples that are able to work through that and to forgive each other and to move forward and to learn. They don't get stuck in that conflict, unable to work through it. Again, everybody, you're always going to have issues with people because people are messy. But are you able to repair and to get through, through those issues? And of course, scripture uh, says this is really high value for us as followers of Jesus, that we are to be people who are experts in, in being able to repair. As Colossians 3 says, clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That forgiveness is just a huge key to long-term relationships. Um, of course, this looks different if there are situations of abuse or extreme control. Forgiveness is going to look different in those situations. Um, uh, but we're talking about everyday kind of conflict here. Hebrews 12 says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And this is what happens sometimes in long-term relationships. There's these things that maybe they're unable to repair or work through and these little roots begin to, of bitterness begin to grow and they begin to grow and to grow and to grow until, you know, finally it begins to corrupt the relationship. Uh, work on your ability to repair. And, and a lot of people who study forgiveness actually say it's like a muscle. 
I mean, sometimes you hear these people, you know, be able to forgive like the most crazy things. They're like, how in the world could they do that? Well, they've worked on it. When you learn to forgive in the little tiny things, it is like a muscle that grows and connections are made in your brain that when you forgive all the little things, it makes, you easy, it makes it easier to begin forgiving the big things. And this is why as a follower of Jesus, when you just learn to, to forgive all the little things around you, it makes it easier to forgive the big things around you. Now, forgiveness, of course, does not mean uh, ignoring issues. It means you've got to talk them out sometimes and be honest with them. But become and grow in your ability to repair. Which means be willing to uh, admit responsibility for your part, to listen, to understand, be slow to speak, as the Bible says. And see your relationship is more important than the problem. Uh, the goal is repair, not to win. And this is a big thing. <laughs> not, if you win in an argument, you've lost. We know that, right? Uh, the goal is not to win and <laughs> to prove that you're right. The goal is to, uh, to repair and to move through this. And of course, learn from your conversational mistakes. And that's been a big thing for Marie and I, because, you know, uh, when, you, when you have a conflict and you begin fighting over something and it begins to really break down and crumble and it's in pieces and, you know, in tears, it's like, what went wrong? And to go back and say, well, it's because I wasn't listening right there and I was trying to win and, and not care about a relationship. But you learn from those things. Uh, conflict can be good in the sense that you can learn a lot about yourself and your spouse and your conversations and where to grow and how to do it better next time. So learn from your conversational mistakes. All right, next booster is to be aware of the emotional bank account. Again, this comes from research from the Gottmans. And they basically say that everybody has like a little piggy bank inside them. And whenever you do something nice for your partner, you put a little deposit in their emotional bank account. And they're like, hey, that feels good. I like that. And so the more nice things you do for them, the more, that's even small things like smiling or it could be big things like, hey, we're going to Mexico, whatever it is, little deposits in the bank account. Um, happy couples have bank accounts that are really full, that their emotional bank accounts are overflowing because there's just been all these little deposits in their account. Unhappy couples are couples where there's been a lot of withdrawals and not enough deposits. Uh, in their research, they have found that for high-quality relationships, they need to have 20 deposits for every withdrawal. That these are, these are happy couples that are saying, you know, we have a, not a perfect marriage, but a good marriage, or we have a great relationship. That there's 20 deposits for every one, and a withdrawal is something that you, you take from your emotional bank account. You don't say thank you, or you're like, I don't want to do that for you, whatever it is. 20. This means... Lots of deposits. Just continually be appreciate them, pursue them, bless them, love them. Little deposits, and they can be very, very small, like a little smile or a little nudge. Or, and then, uh, also during conflict, that healthy couples have five deposits for every one withdrawal during conflict. So when you have an argument or you're you're discussing something heatedly, when you listen to them, you say, "Is this what you're saying? That's 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 a win. That's a deposit." Or I think you understand, or, or help me understand, those are deposits. But when you try to justify yourself or blame, that's withdrawal. And so uh, the idea that Gottman says is just your relationship, just flood it with emotional deposits. And therefore, when you get to those difficult times, there's lots in the bank to withdraw. Dr. Sue Johnson, who I think Tamara mentioned last week, yep, says when marriages fail... 
It is not increasing conflict that is the cause. It is decreasing affection and emotional responsiveness, according to the landmark study by Ted Hudson of the University of Texas. Indeed, the lack of emotional responsiveness rather than the level of conflict is the best predictor of how solid a marriage will be five years into it. The demise of marriages begin with a growing absence of responsive, intimate interactions. That marriages aren't built on these, we're going to Mexico and we won the lottery and we got a new house. That marriages are built on the everyday tiny little interactions. It's all the little things, those little deposits into the account. And again, when we're maybe in a long time relationship, it's those little things that we tend to kind of just, you know, forget about. But they're actually the most important things to keep those bank accounts full. Uh, next booster tip is recognizing your partner's bid for connections. And this is, this is kind of similar. And that is that um, everybody, all of us constantly are throwing out little bids for emotional connection with people. And we do this with strangers. We do this with your kids. Your kids do it to you. And it's really helpful to understand emotional bids for connection. That it can be you know, you're walking down the street and you smile at somebody. It's a little connection to say, hey, uh, do you see me? Or I'm saying hi, do you want to say hi back to me? Or you put out your hand to shake. Or, um, you know, you open the door. These little bids saying, do you see me? Do you, do you acknowledge me? Do you, can, do you appreciate me? We're constantly throwing out these bids. And they can be very sensitive because we're being a little bit vulnerable when we throw out a bit of connection and when it's not received by our partner, is a major withdrawal in our bank account. I mean, you might be on the couch, and you, maybe you're both on your phones, and, and you come across a meme, and you go, ha, 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 you laugh out loud. That, that tends to be, that's actually a bid for connection, because you want your, your partner to say, oh, what was it? Or tell me about it. But if they say nothing, you're kind of like, huh. Your bid for connection actually just was, was missed, and that's taking out of the emotional bank account. And so uh, these emotional bids for connection um, can be things like, uh, they, they can be very clear. Sometimes we're really clear. Like if you say, you know, I really need a hug right now. That's a very clear bid for connection. Or I need some time to just sit back and talk. Or do you want to have breakfast together? Or I need to tell you about my day. Or I'd like to have sex tonight. I mean, those are very clear connections that I want to connect. And those are easy for us to see. We understand those. Uh, but there's other connections that maybe may be a bit more difficult. These are sort of more masked connections. Like, hey, do you want to watch a TV show tonight? That's a connection. It's like, hey, I'd like to watch it with you. That's kind of the underlying bid for connection. Or what are you doing this afternoon? Usually that means I'm free and I'd like to hang out with you. That's the, that's the bid for connection. It's, it's slightly masked, but it's there. Or I had a hard day at work. That is, you know, I like to talk about how lame my day was. Do you want to listen? Or, I'm so busy. <laughs> it's usually a bid for connection that I, I need some emotional support because I'm tired. Now, we throw those out, but they're masked. And if your partner just kind of like, oh, <laughs> goes back to doing what they're doing, I mean, you actually, it's, it's a withdrawal because your emotional bid for connection was missed. And this is why you need to become experts at reading underneath your partner's bids for connections because when you learn them and you begin to know how to respond to them, when they say, I'm so busy, you say, oh yeah, well, just tell me, tell me, well, I mean, what's, been, what's made your day hard? And that's a, it's an emotional connection, which is a real boost to your relationship. Dr. Sue Johnson says, what couples and therapists too often do not see 
is that most fights are really protests over emotional disconnection. Underneath all the distressed partners are asking each other, can I count on you? Depend on you? Are you there for me? Will you respond to me when I need, when I call? Do I matter to you? Am I valued and accepted by you? Do you need me, rely on me? The anger, the criticism, the demands are really cries to the lovers, calls to stir their hearts, to draw their mates back into emotionally and reestablish a sense of safe connection. And so this is where you can be really become a master in your relationships. And to me, this was probably one of the biggest boosters. There's been lots in my marriage, but understanding this point, um, especially maybe if your spouse isn't like the best at being clear with, it, with their emotions, is to always be reading underneath these negative bids. In other words, sometimes our bids for connection are longing to connect with you and someone else actually comes out in a very negative statement. And if you take it as a flashly and openly negative statement, you want to fight back and you'll miss this opportunity to actually draw near. And so a, a statement like this, why are you always on your phone? Because I like my phone. Get lost. You know, you can say that. You just probably blew up your relationship. But why are you always on the phone? That is actually a bid for connection. That I want to be spending time with you and you're on your phone and that kind of hurts. That's the underlying connection. So if you connect at that point and you know, maybe say, I just got to finish this message, then let's sit down and chat. You've just met that bid for connection. Or uh, are you going to watch TV again? Or uh, why do you always have to go to the gym? Or you never listen to me. Or you never help out around here. Or your partner comes home from grumpy and they slam doors and cupboards. Those are bids for connection. That I actually want to connect emotionally, but I'm not in a position to say anything, so I'm going to slam doors to try to get your attention so that hopefully you say, tell me about your day, or what's wrong, or what's going on, or you give them a hug, and you actually connect to them where they want to be connected at. Or even sometimes when your partner distances themselves, but busy work, hobbies, distractions, sometimes when a partner distances themselves, it's actually a cry saying, do you see me? And, uh, and so underneath, again, a lot of these negative statements that you might have in your relationships, these, these are the kind of words you need to begin to hear in these emotional connections. Again, are they saying, can I count on you? Are you there for me? Will you respond to me when I am in need? Do you like spending time with me? Do I matter to you? Am I valued and accepted by you? Do you need me? Or I desire your presence, touch in this moment. Or I need you to hear and listen to me. I desire connection time or I miss you. Um, it can really change your relationship when you begin to see everything on this emotional connection, bids for connection. And to not respond with a, a negative statement with a negative statement, but to respond with maybe a negative statement with what are they actually saying in their emotional world? And to meet with them there. And um, this just deposits more and more... Uh, emotional stuff in their bank accounts, and it really helps boost uh, relationship. So always try to move conversations towards emotional connection. Unspoken emotions and irrational fears, don't hide them and share them. In other words, try not to hide what's going on. I mean, you could say, you know, why are you always on your phone? <laughs> you could say something like that. Or you could say, you know, I really just need some time with you. And the more honest you can actually get with your emotions instead of masking them, it just makes everything more easily because easy, because then you actually just know what they're thinking or know what they're wanting. And it's the weird thing about relationships, and sometimes we're even like this with God, is that more than anything else in the world, we want someone who loves us unconditionally. 
We just want unconditional love. But often what we put out there is a, is a false self. We always mask ourselves. We pretend to be someone else or pretend we don't really have these feelings. So we say, why are you always on your phone when that's actually not what you, who you are and what you're thinking, you're actually thinking this. We want unconditional love, but we put another person forward who can't be loved unconditionally because it's not actually you, if that makes sense. In other words, the more honest you can be with who you are and what you're thinking, the more you can actually be loved unconditionally. And this is why the more vulnerable you learn to become, the more honest with yourself and honest with your emotions, that is your true self, and that is where someone can actually meet with you and love you unconditionally. Okay, two more quick ones, we're done. Um, cultivate, cultivate play and healthy risk in your relationship. Um, Verity Esther Perel, I really like her. She's got a lot of good stuff on this, but uh, she talks about a lot about you know, the struggle of being in relationships long-term. And what tends to happen is when you get in a new relationship, things are really fun and exciting, and there's lots of risk and adventure and play, and everything's new, and you have everything to talk about. And then as the years go on, what happens to couples is they tend to lean more on, I want to be safe and secure in this relationship, and the less they risk and play. And so what tends to happen is the longer a couple is together, the more boring, if you will, the relationship becomes because there's less risk in play, because couples get so wrapped up in each other that I don't want to mess this up. I want this to be safe and secure. I want to protect it, so I'm, I'm not going to speak my opinion on this, or I'm not going to be vulnerable, or I'm not going to say what I really want, because that might, they might not like that, and so I'm just going to keep it safe. And so what happens after years and years and years, if you've been to restaurants and you see those couples that are sitting there, and their whole meal, they don't say anything together. <laughs> and you might say, I never want to be one of those couples. I mean, they never talk. I mean, sure, the longer you're together, the more you know about each other. But often what is actually going on there is couples get so wrapped up in trying to keep the relationship safe that they no longer risk or they no longer are really vulnerable or they no longer say, hey, let's try this. And they just keep it safe. And the only things that are safe are like things to talk about the weather and the grandkids and the house. And they don't talk about, you know, sexual fantasies or let's go on this vacation or this is my hope and my dream or what if we did this or let's try something different or let's go on an adventure. I mean... If you want to keep fun in your relationship, you need to continually risk. And again, this means just learning to continue to be vulnerable and open and to share who you are. Again, if you want unconditional love from your partner, you need to be you and not a false you. And so, uh, I mean, we see stuff uh, in the scriptures. This is one of my favorite Proverbs, by the way. I love it. An empty stable stays clean, but no income comes from an empty stable. A lot of marriages are like that. It's all safe and clean. There's no adventure. There's no risk. There's no play. And it's just nice and tidy. And, but there's no fun. And, and they think, well, it's kind of boring. And there's nothing going on there. Get the stable messy. Try something different. Go on an adventure. Be risky. And we see this, of course, in, in scriptures in uh, Song of Solomon. I mean, we see adventure in relationships like uh, this couple here. It says, come, my beloved. Let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. And there I will give you my love. And so they're going away on an adventure, and they're going to have love in, in the vineyards. And I mean, that's kind of risky. That's play. Um, so don't let your relationship settle into boredom. Continually push things a little bit. What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What do you want to try? What's something different? Maybe if you don't like it, just maybe you just try it to bring in a little bit more fun and play. It's a very 
a big key to happy relationships. And the last one, just keep pursuing your partner. I mean, be like Jesus towards you. Jesus is continually pursuing you with his love and his care and his kindness. And in turn, to just continually pursue our partner to do nice things, to do special things, and even just the little things. I know Marie and I, like, usually two or three times a day, we just text a little note back and forth or something kind of flirty or whatever, just back and forth, and just those little things. It's the little things that make the difference. To pursue, to pursue, to pursue.